Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to Recall the Midwife. In today's episode, we are going to be continuing our chat from last week discussing Jennifer Worth's book. I'm Becky. I'm Alex. I'm Jen. And again, just a reminder that this week's episode, like last, deals with a lot of the topics from the book. So those are going to be a lot more intense and in many ways darker than some of the things that were covered in the show. So they may include, um, you know, severe illness, chronic illness, domestic abuse, child abuse, um, poverty, neglect, um, sexual abuse. Um, What else did I say? Adult illness extreme poverty and the effects of extreme poverty um maternal mortality there's there's lots of just anything bad you can think of it's in this book unfortunately (laughs) it's just a lot of really really terrible things so just to finish the disclaimer if you do not feel up to listening to those topics uh being discussed this week we understand and hope you join us for the next one Uh, especially if you listen to us ramble on last week you might be like i'm i'm over this one yeah, I want to well, take a break. I'm nervous about doing a book club because this is my first ever book club, ladies. Um, I know, yeah. And um, I can't say I'm not nervous still. Carry on, part two. <laughs> well, I will say I, I've done a book club before, but I've never been this good in a book club ever, ever, ever. Um, okay, so so as our listeners know, if they did listen to last week, we were covering kind of characters in the book that we also remember from the show and kind of expanding and discussing how they appeared in the book. Um, I, so I, we made a list of ones we wanted to touch on. I believe we wanted to talk uh, next about Conchita, Len and Conchita Warren. Do we yes. want to talk about that? Okay. Yes. Now, guys, go ahead. You were quite adamant in your condemnation of Len. Alex. Yes, Alex, yes. you were. And I, I think... was a bit more forgiving of him, and now <laughs> I am not. Because... Yeah, like it's shocking the age she was. Oh, should I, I was... should I just read? Wait, should I just read? Do we, re- Do we remember what age they suggested Conchita was in the show? In the 14. show that. Yeah, 13, 14, they, they kind of said, or 14, maybe. I, yeah. I highlighted it and I literally put so many question marks and explanation points. Um, so he goes off to the Spanish Civil War and then, and then they say, he, Jennifer Worth says, he was lucky to survive, but survive he did and came home to London with a beautiful Spanish peasant girl of about 11 or 12. He returned to his mother's house with the girl and they obviously lived together. What his relatives or neighbors thought of this shocking occurrence can only be conjectured, but his mother stuck by him and he was not one to be intimidated by a pack of gossiping neighbors. Anyway, they could hardly send the girl back because he had forgotten where she came from and she didn't seem to know. Quite apart from this, he loved her. What? 
Now he's in his late teens. She's not even a teenager. Oh, but I just oh. Well, he's old enough to fight in a war. So if that tells you anything, I mean, oh he's, god, he's, he's not hard at all because I very much was against him and I still am. But he's absolutely one of the good actual fathers in this. Yeah, <laughs> like he is a kind, <laughs> caring father in this, and yeah, yeah, he is and a really absolutely a groomer just like Zakia. But at least he actually uh, did step up and stay with her. And he doesn't say, you know, all this, there's so many horrible domestic abuse uh, cases in this book as well. And so many. Time, yeah, but he isn't like that. Like, Mrs. Warren isn't treated badly. If anything, mm-hmm. she is treated well, despite the fact she was a child when they got together. Yeah. Um, and yeah. he does look after the kids and he does actually help in the house, which is unheard of as well. I know, I know. So even well, though he's one of the good ones, he was a paedophile. <laughs> Well, the thing that's really, the thing that, I mean, there's lots of things about their relationship and everything and her in there. And Jenny is incredibly, you know, like complimentary of her. And she says she looks like Spanish aristocracy and she's got this beautiful voice and she doesn't have a wrinkle on her face and all this stuff like that. And she just does everything. And how does she do it all? Because she's had like 25 kids. And the thing that's wild is like, uh, you know, I also had the same feelings about Mr. Warren, but then, so fast forward. So they, they talk about this family in two parts, one at the beginning of the book and then one kind of towards the end. And they go into the story that's covered on the show about Conchita giving birth to the premature baby and needing to feed the baby um, with like the, the icing, um, the icing rod and everything from her daughter's home at class. And I'll just get um, to the page here. Oh, is it? Pardon and me, this storyline annoyed me in the show, and it annoyed me in the book. Oh, it's it's very yeah, but annoying. It's the fact that it's true. Like in the in the show, it doesn't seem true that this this mother had twenty four babies within this tiny little house with a no. with a you know since she was t- really young, and, and it's actually true. It's mad. And didn't yeah. speak I was English. Right. I was all right with that bit. It was the premature caring for the premature. Child. Yeah, true. No, I know it's it's absolutely true, but it just frustrated me massively when she didn't wouldn't let the child have hospital treatment. Yeah, but she was right in the end. Well, luckily, it luckily, luckily, she was yeah, right. I will say, there's a lot of research when I was having but a baby. I don't feel like there's any. There wasn't a right or wrong there, but I feel like there's a lot of research. Well, I know there's a lot of research on books about this, about, like, skin-to-skin care, about how that actually your heart next to your child's and stuff does actually have a massive impact on the kid and things like that when they're first born, and especially premature kids. Um, and there's a lot of research about saying stuff like this is actually very effective in caring for your child. Um, but that baby was one pound. What Was it one pound? I can't remember the exact weight. One pound one ounce? Um, one pound ten ounces. Yeah. I don't. I don't remember specifically, but yeah, very, very, anyway, very tiny. Anyway, yeah. it wasn't the sort of weight where a bit of skin to skin and home care was gonna. Well, it did. I mean, obviously, the baby did survive, <laughs> and I don't. Think, there's no right or wrong, but I, it just massively frustrated me. Well, yeah, I get it. Yeah. I get it. I mean, the thing that the thing that was that was tough that was tough just to go back to their marriage just for one quick second was that Len is all in for the doctors taking the baby and he's like yeah that's a great idea and so he welcomes the flying squad in and all that kind of stuff like that and then she says when they when they explain to Conchita what's going to happen she says no he's not going to die he stays with me he's not going to die and then Len goes there you are said Len buoyantly he won't die if my Connie says that then he won't die you can take it from me and that was that the doctors knew they were defeated and started to pick up their equipment I mean, like, again, Len, they're a complicated marriage that in many ways I just find really uh, problematic, but I do appreciate the fact that he backed her up in that, in that one scene. I will say, Bex, I had the same thing. I, I really, I do get that there's a lot of research about, you know, kind of, you know, about these things, you know, more like um, holistic, you know, treatments and their, their place in, you know, medicine and everything. But I think Conchita was incredibly lucky to have that baby survive. And yeah. it worked out for her, but it just as easily could not have worked out. Um, the thing that I wrote down that I thought was actually, like, this is separate from the baby's health, but I just thought was kind of funny, was she goes, um, after a few weeks, Conchita began to get up for short periods. Um, she'd been thinking ahead and knew exactly what was to be done. Um, 
she asked Liz to acquire from the dressmakers several lengths of the finest unbleached silk. With the help of her skilled eldest daughter, she fixed a kind of sling or firm blouse around her shoulders and breasts, tight underneath but loose above. The baby was carried in this for five months between his mother's breasts, never leaving her. Okay, girls, she invented the baby Bjorn. That's what that baby <laughs> did. <laughs> Well, her daughter was very talented. Just yeah. The problem is they probably didn't, um, what's the word? When you no, make it, trademark it, they trademark it, they patent yeah, it, patent it. Exactly. She should, she should have sold, sold it on the, and made her millions. You know what I mean? She could be like as rich as Jeff Bezos. Who knows? She, if she didn't, she might be. Maybe we need to research this. Maybe the origins of the baby Bjorn are in a Spanish family from yeah, London. I'm, I'm, now, the thing that makes me laugh is like, so like I grew up, I, not I grew up, I, I've spent a lot of time in New York and a lot of moms there have not only baby Bjorns, but they, ha- I don't remember what the name is, but those really, Sling. really long piece. Yeah. The slings, the like long piece of fabric, you tie around yourself in 800 yeah. different ways and then you tuck your baby in. I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're, they're all the rage and everything with like young hip moms and everything. But I am absolutely positive, though I do not know completely the history of it, that that method of carrying babies has been used by like ancient tribal cultures for yeah. centuries well, in, African in women. all the parts of the globe yeah. where people have been living for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years. Like, well, so. Well, if you remember when they were talking about the African women with the hypno birthing, they were saying about yeah. they literally put, have give birth and then put the baby on the back of the sling. Like, <clears throat> yeah. I had one and my baby was so heavy that I used it for about a week and couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> she was so fat and it just really hurt my back. And I had massive boobs. It was just awful. And then my husband tried it and he was like, never again. He just was really sweaty. So we were like, yeah, that was awful. It is so sweaty when they're up front. Oh, I really took hard, my nephew yeah. out for, in one and we went um, to a cafe for breakfast and it was really difficult to eat and I had toast. And when we took him out, he was just covered in crumbs. it's really funny it really got me um yeah my sister and brother-in-law had them for the twins but it was they 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 did those for like a few months and then they were and twins i'm not being funny oh yeah yeah there was no way to get one on the back no thank you no, it just it just didn't work. They it kind of you know, but and then they were and then they were they were little, so they were always afraid they were gonna like bump the babies into something, and then it was like get them in, but get them out, and then they were you know it just it just wasn't working. But, well, nobody I mean, but like that. But the inventor of the sling, Conchita Warren. Yeah, exactly. I love Jenny. Who had taught her this? I had never before, since in any literature, heard of such a way of caring for a baby. I'm like, oh, Jenny, come on, like get get a clue. But anyways. <laughs> Um, what are you going to do? So is there anything else we want to say about Conchita and Len? No, I was just appalled by her age. Well, I like the way they went into the background in the book about what he actually did for a job. Because when when you're there and it's just a fleeting visit, you're just like, how can they afford 24 kids in a house? You know, and they've obviously got stuff for like... uh, the kids that can buy stuff for the kids like an icing rod like i know it's not a luxury but in in those days in this bleak poverty actually is it was um, it was yeah, yeah. so uh, um, yeah i like i like that you got more of a background yeah there was more context you could see why why they were a positively represented couple and family um yeah. my question is that she never answered because i meant she didn't know is when did they stop having kids and how many kids did they end up with when they finally were done well i just I- assumed that was the last one Oh really? Yeah, oh, that's that's smart. Actually, that's smart. Um, girls, yeah, yeah. should we go on to Mrs. Jenkins? Oh, Mrs. Jenkins, heartbreaking. She's been fine, and all the other, you know, horrific storylines, <laughs> but Mrs. Jenkins is the one. <laughs> She's like, yeah, what you know, doing okay. Like they were kind of getting it, you know. Yeah, but Mrs. Jenkins sat there beaming. But now, Mrs. <laughs> Jenkins. <laughs> It was just when she went into the workhouse and everything she did to try and save her family from having to go into the workhouse. Like she literally sold her teeth and sold her hair. I know, I know. She she took everything that she had, including her own body, to try and keep them out of there. Oh. The bit, the bit that's the most horrific for me is when they were separated, the kids and her. So that Was they- it the little boy? Well, no, well, that was awful, yeah. But they had, they had, um, the, so the babies, the young under fives or something, all went to the baby bit. Then they had the girl ones and the boys ones, and they went to like those bits. So that even all the kids were separated from each other pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then she was the other side, and they had this massive 15 foot wall. 
and she said she could hear them playing. Can you imagine? Like you could hear oh. them outside, and she was trying to shout the name, and she was banned from doing it. Told that she was never going outside again if she shouted again. So that even then she wouldn't have the opportunity to even hear them. Oh, my heart nearly exploded. Oh, I I just can't. I just can't even. Um, wait, hold on. I have a I have a part here. You guys keep talking. I'm just going to find it really quick. Well, obviously, Mrs. Jenkins' storyline was harrowing. Unlike all of the other storylines. <laughs> Unlike the heartwarming <laughs> ones we've just been talking about. But just to, I mean, before we really get into it with Mrs. Jenkins' storyline, I need to touch upon the fact that Mrs. Jenkins' toenails are still displayed in a glass case in the British Chiropody Association's entrance hall. I'm not yes. going to lie, it did not make me want to go. <laughs> it made me want to see if they're still there. I'm sure they are. I'll report back. Right. Yeah, I will let you because I don't want to do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Next time we're on a out into London, I'll be like, "Oh, there's just somewhere I want to nip to around the corner." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, "Go for it! I'm going for a pint." <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh god. Okay, so just just quickly, so I, I just have to I just have to touch on her history because you know not no not going to go on a huge big long thing about this but um and there is a chapter called the workhouse which I'll just say one second okay so this is Mrs Jenkins history she'd been born in Mil- Millwall worked in a factory at the age of thirteen married a local boy when she was eighteen they rented two rooms had six children over ten years uh, then her young husband developed enough developed a cough that he never got better from six months later he was spitting up blood he just wasted away mrs jenkins says three months later he was dead she was strong and less than 38 years of age at the time that her husband passed away she left the two rooms and took a small back room for herself and her children she returned to work in the shirt making factory working dust till dawn her oldest daughter rosie was um 10 but already taking care of the younger children Rosie started doing extra hand sewing and often sat in the night sewing by candlelight. Um, Rosie was sewing as well with her. Um, Then catastrophe struck. The machinery of the factory that uh, Mrs. Jenkins worked at was completely unguarded and the sleeve of her dress caught in the wheel, dragging her right arm toward the cutting blades. I won't say more than that because I don't want to gross you out, Al. But just suffice to say, she had a really terrible injury to her arm that was never tended to medically and so it never healed properly. So she was kind of forever a bit disabled after that. Um, They say it was surprising she could use her hand at all. Um, And then she said, this is what's done for us. Because after that, if she couldn't work, she didn't have income. And so then kind of starts this really painful, like slow decline, you know, down and down um, financially. And she said, just like you said, Beck, she sold her hair, she sold her teeth, but it was never enough. The the baby became lethargic and ceased, ceased to thrive. She called it wasting fever. Her baby passed away. Her baby died with no money, could be spared for a funeral. So she sealed him in an orange box, weighed down with stones, and slipped him into the river. And then that was when she accepted defeat and knew that the inevitable had come. She and the children would have to go to the workhouse, oh, which she had, so I mean, oh, it, it, it couldn't get, you wouldn't think, okay, that's that's as sad as it could get. No, no, it gets way, way, way well, sadder than that. Well, this is like that. 30 years before we're born. Well, well, Yes, but no. So when Jenny meets her, no, it's it not because she's an old lady. When we, oh yeah, yeah, shut up, Alex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when <laughs> when, Jen, when Jenny meets her, it's thirty years before we're born. But it's you know, but but then just to say, and I'm not sixty gonna... years before we're born, everyone. <laughs> so, <laughs> so she goes into the workhouse in like the 19 teens, and then comes out in 1935. Um, but they talk about, you know, um, this system was the workhouse system was intended as a way to help poor people because it would have consistent housing, consistent food, work and like clothes, you know, kind of meet the basic needs. But she says the system must have seemed like an act of pure Christian goodness and charity. But like so many good intentions, it quickly turns sour. And it just basically turns into the worst place any human could ever go and it's and legendary des- in its terror yeah she describes it as basically like a prison i mean yeah but even more inhumane in many ways than a prison i mean you know the separation of families and all of this kind of stuff the absolutely intractable intractable ability to get out of it i mean but from the timeline she gives in the book so the uh, the poor at uh, poor law act in in britain of 19 of 1834 was repealed in 1929 and mrs jenkins got out of the workhouse in 1935 so you kind of think okay well she's only gotten out of there 
because they're just cycling people out, not because they would have let her go or because she would have been able to earn her way out any other time. It's just that, you know, the kind of this law went out of fashion and everything. And by the way, I'm not bringing this up as any kind of criticism to Britain or the UK or anything. America has a long and painful history of treating people terribly as well and, you know, systems that are not very dissimilar to this. So, you know, no, no, you know, kind of bias on that end of it. But it's just... I'm not offended. Like, yeah, but I mean... It's a but, horrible, but, horrible situation. But, yeah, but between the workhouse and, like, the, the lack of protection for labor, you know, laws, and then also, like, disability coverage and things like that, this is before a lot of you know, kind of modern, you know, medical protections and social services are put in place. I mean, these are exactly the kind of stories that got those movements going. So yeah. just, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I've i learned a lot of that history when I went to social work and I, you know, it, really stunning stories, you know, that things people had to go through to finally be able to make that really big change. And Mrs. Jenkins just, oh, she just leaves such a lasting impression. Sorry. Just had it was, to go on a big it was just really dark. I know it was just really dark. It was just so dark. So hard. So hard. So wait, is there anything else we'd like to say about Mrs. Jenkins in the book or compared to the show or anything? Because I have a letter. Quite, I... It was go quite ahead. bang on about Mrs. Jenkins, really, on the, in the show. Yeah, I like... because I was also critical of the scene where Sister Evangelina farted to try and gain her trust. But that actually... <laughs> I was like, I think she could have gained her trust in another way, but no, apparently not. Yeah, that is a, that is a true. That is literally like scene for scene enactment, enactment of what exactly what happened. Enactment? What's an enactment? Uh, really of that, what happened? Do you want to talk about Sister Evangeline a little bit? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Um. Well. <laughs> I didn't have much Sorry, did I put you on the spot? I, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. I, again, it's I'm fine. like flipping through the book, so I, I have feel like I'm doing Magisha the oral exam on the book. <laughs> um, I feel like Sister Evangelina was portrayed. Actually, well, I feel like the the character on the TV is a lot softer, even though she is quite harsh. Yes, uh, but yes. the way she describes it was a lot more gruff, a lot more working class. Like she is working class in the show, but yes. in this, she absolutely. What's the word? It, it, it generates from her. She's so working class. She's so good. And in the book, so... there's a, I feel like there's a separation between Sister Evangelina and the other nuns because yeah. the other nuns are, are more upper class. They come from really well-to-do families, whereas Sister Evangelina is working class and really is kind of basically like one of the people. Yeah. And, and she doesn't understand the humour in the book. So she's always looking if they're making a joke she's looking to see if other people whereas in the show I feel like they're much more of a unit yeah whereas in, in the actual in the in the east end she fits in so much better with the people than the other nuns because she's got the same like the fact that she farts in front of them the fact that she's got their humor she laughs a lot more and is seemed as deemed as being really funny to all the the people in poplar whereas the other nurses the nuns don't have that. Book, like she's she's much more relatable for the people that, of poplar that she actually treats do you, do you want me to read a little a little excerpt about her? Oh yes, please, mother. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just gonna back up y'all, y'all's thesis with some um you know uh for uh, text reinforcement here. Um, so Jenny is assigned to work with Sister Evangelina, and she's really dreading it because she doesn't really like her, and she thinks she's you know she's gonna get raked over the coals as well. But she says, as the months passed, I began to understand why Sister Evangelina was so popular. It was because she was one of them. She was not a Cockney, but had been born into a very very poor working class family from Reading. She never told me this. She hardly ever spoke to me. (laughs) Lol. But from remarks made to the patients, it became perfectly clear. For example, these young housewives, they don't know what they're born. What? A lavatory in every flat? Remember the old middens, do you, Dad? And the newspaper on the seat and queuing up in the frost when you're bursting? And then she goes on. And then and then to your point, Bex, about the humor and everything, she says, because Jenny had been had told a story about Sister Monica Joan making fun of Sister Evangelina earlier in the book and how Sister Evangelina had no sense of humor and she kind of never could match wit for wit with Sister Monica Joan. But, um, you know, so she always thought she was kind of like humorless and just unfun and kind of dumb on Honestly, she's she's rude about her in that in that part. But she says, no, indeed, Sister Evangelina was not humorless. The only trouble was that at Nanata's house, her humor was different from everyone else's. She was surrounded by middle class values and the safety valve of humor, 
which was common to all the nuns, was perpetually closed to her. She simply couldn't understand their jokes, so she always had to watch and see when everyone else was laughing and then joined in somewhat half-heartedly. Equally, her own brand of humor would definitely not have been appreciated in the convent. In fact, it would have been greeted with severe disapprobation. Perhaps she had tried in the past and had been required by the Reverend Mother to do penance for loose or unguarded speech, so the young novice had simply buttoned herself up and outwardly appeared solemn and heavily serious. Oh, wait, and last one. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta read this part. She says to, um, you know, she says it in the show to, uh, to Mrs. Jenkins, but here she just says it to somebody. Where, wherever you be, let your wind go free, to which the reply was always chanted, in church and chapel, let it rattle. Which I thought was so great. Okay, wait, but then, so, so Jenny is still kind of, you know, figuring out who Sister Evangelina is by working with her, and, and she learns a lot by just observing. So she's talking to, so in this scene, um, Sister Evangelina is talking to a guy who's gone to war in years past, and we find out that um, Sister Evangelina also volunteered um, in World War One as well. So we say, so this is Sister Evangelina, she says. And she went behind enemy lines. Yeah, it says she was, Sister Evangelina was 20 when she volunteered to go behind enemy lanes, enemy lines. She and a patient were talking about the Air Force of those days, the tiny biplanes only invented about 20 years previously. She said it was after the German spring offensive in 1918. Our men were wounded, stranded behind the line with no medical help. No one could be sent to them by road, so an airlift was arranged. I parachuted down, meaning Sister Evangelina. And then... And then the patient says, you've got guts, sister. Didn't you know that 50% of all those early parachutes never opened at all? Of course I knew, she said bluntly. It was all explained to us. No one was pressed. I volunteered. Jenny says, I looked at her with new eyes to volunteer to jump from an airplane, knowing full well that there was a 50% chance of it being your last step would take more than guts. It would take an inner heroism of a rare quality. That is good. So despite slagging her off the whole tap chapter in the end, she was like, actually, she was a hero. Yeah, she was like, ugly and stupid, but it turned out she was really amazing. Who well, knew? do you know like, the bit in the does? TV show when it's Pearl and she's like, I think you're all heroines? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a paraphrasing from that. Oh, see, I think Pearl is, wait, what's her name in it? Um, I think Pearl is. She's mentioned quite early on. She, I, I, it's, it's her chapter. It's her chapter. There is a character that is, um, that has all those issues that Pearl has. Yeah, and I, it was, it was very. I highlighted up. it, but I can't remember who it is. Yeah. Um. But anyway, yeah. Is it Muriel? Muriel. Maybe. Yeah. But yeah. No, it's not. It's not that. I just mean that bit when she says about about her being a heroine. Like I just think that is kind of the paraphrasing from what she gets. Like. Oh yeah. I, yeah. I think you're really oh, right about that. Okay. Now wait, we should we just more do... chapters or do we can we, do can, some... we, can we just talk about Sister Monica Jones? Sorry, yes we can. Bex, what do you have to say though? Well, then I would like to talk about Gerald and Trixie. Yes, okay. So why don't you do Gerald and Trixie because I've been talking so much and then and then we'll do Sister Monica Jones. So this is very quick. So Gerald, we, we've all obviously all spoken about how much we hate the Gerald storyline yeah. <laughs> and how it never leads to anything. And we wondered whether the book would shed more light on that and it doesn't. Um, it was, I know. She touches on it in the book how there was this older man that she was in love with. I think they portrayed it very badly in the show. It was just annoying. Why could we never see his face in the show? I know, I I got the feeling that he might have been a teacher or something, because doesn't she say something about how he taught her? And I was like, what did he teach you? <laughs> I I think I posited that he was a professor, but... Yeah, I, I got that vibe. Yeah, I don't specifically know if they said that, but that was the impression I got, because... Like, who, who, what other older men are you going to come in contact with when you're, like, 16? You know what I mean? Yeah. Is my, my thinking. And then the only thing, and that, so that was, so the Gerald storyline, we're none the wiser. Trixie, yeah. they, she doesn't really talk about Trixie a lot. She, Trixie's mentioned yeah. in passing, yeah. but I mean, I don't know whether in later books, I'm assuming that we're going to read the other books. Maybe we will, yeah. Well, Actually, me and Jen will. will. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for context, Becky finished the book about two minutes before we came onto the call. Um, and also, you know, I we've all listened to the book, but yes. everybody else has got paper copies as well, and I don't. But um, I've got a bit of a reader note on this, right, about uh-huh. Trixie, because I agree, Trixie's hardly in it. 
Um, and she's a bit mean. And I yeah. feel like the Cynthia character in the book, who's all sexy and beautiful and alluring to men, is kind of like mm-hmm. the tricks is moved to Trixie yeah. in, the, in the TV show. Um, but Alison Purdy, now, Alison, I'm sure you've done amazing insights before. I'm sure she did the insightful uh, question last time. Um, but we, I put a note on Facebook about asking people what they wanted. And she said, the books are a curious mix of real people, Jenny, Cynthia, characters based on real people, but with names changed. Sister Julienne slash Jocelyn, Trixie Antonia, Chummy Fiona, and people who perhaps didn't exist at all. Um, so similar with places, East India, Dark Road, Blackwall Tunnel, Trist Street are all examples, but Nanata's House and Chichester Mother House are pseudonyms. Now, just on that, the real name of Nanata's House is the Nursing Sisters of St. John the Divine. Oh. Uh, I, looked, I looked that up. But yeah, so anyway, but she's also said here, how old is Sister Monica Joan? The book says she was born in the 1860s. Yeah. Well, doesn't now, she say in the book that she's four score and ten? What does that mean? Isn't it 90? I'm really bad at math. Is, is a score a 20? I think four, I think score is 14 years. That's heck. Is that a baker's dozen? <laughs> Wait. Abraham Lincoln says four score and. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Something years ago. Score score is 20, so yes. So I was correct, oh, 90. Right. Or score and 10. Well done. Yes. There you go, Bex. That's the I kind didn't... of fact finding. Exactly. It's because the book was so fresh in my mind. Yes. Yeah. You've just finished. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was also someone else said that she actually died. Um, so it must be in the next book. But she actually died. I think and, so. Um, yeah, but obviously this didn't happen in this book. But we will do the next book. Okay. So so just to get to Sister Monica Joan really quick. So um, apologies for Jimmy being even mentioned. But he's not the main person here. So, by the um, way, uh, everyone, uh, Jen's got a brand new Jimmy tattoo on her forehead. Carry on. <laughs> Just his face right in the middle of my head. Um, okay, so so Jimmy and two friends, Mike and Alan, come over to the convent for lunch with all the nuns and the girls and everything like that. And so then there's a story about this luncheon, which is hilarious, and I'm going to read some parts from. Um, but here's Cynthia. So we we didn't talk about Cynthia's description kind of earlier in the book. But um, but the but everyone's feeling very uncomfortable. The boys don't really know what to do. Like they're in you know this convent, they feel really out of sorts or whatever. And um, Jenny goes, Cynthia saved the day. She always did without knowing how or what she had done. She stepped forward, her stop, her soft smile dispelling the tension and filling the rather strained atmosphere with warmth. When she spoke, the slow, sexy voice just knocked them over. And then and then she just says, oh, you guys must be Jimmy and Mike and Alan. Like, you know, how, da, da, da. and all of the boys are just like, Bleh. like, they just like die over her. Um, there's actually a really, there's a really funny scene, too, because then because they're talking and then Chummy comes in and like, literally, she, she kind of appears without knowing that they're all there. She does either she doesn't realize they've arrived yet or she just didn't know they were coming or whatever. And she goes. Jenny goes, Chummy appeared in the doorway, her head buried in the times. I say, gals, did you know that Binky Bingham Binghouse is getting spliced at last? Jolly good show. What? Actually, her mate will be frightfully chuffed, don't you know? They thought she was on the show. Good old Binky. Ho, ho. And like, and then she realizes the guys are standing there and she absolutely just melts into the floor, which is so par for the course. But um, then this really made me laugh because so basically what happens is they sit down to lunch and um 
one of the boys, Alan, is going to write an article about it for like the school newspaper, like the university newspaper. And so he has notes and he's like, come and everything. And so Jenny gives him this description. And I, I got to give it to Jennifer Worth. Like she really knows how to dress down a man when she wants to. So she goes, Alan was outrageously handsome. He had a perfect regular features, clear skin, dark curly hair, and soft dark eyes, fringed with eyelashes that any girl would kill for. I'd met him a couple of times, and when the girls flocked around him in droves trying to win a glance from his bright eyes, I had noticed that he treated them as pleasing but inconsequential toys. He regarded himself as a, quote, leader of opinion. With a degree in philosophy from Cambridge University, he had already formed conclusions about life, which he had picked up secondhand without having lived much of it himself. The troubles and turmoils that befall most of us had yet to disturb his assumption of superiority. He had a huge regard for his own intelligence, which I had concluded was adequate, but not outstanding. And I just was like, oh. I mean, <laughs> just, I just absolutely, I know I blasted her for like some of her earlier descriptions, but listen, that knife cuts both ways. Okay. Um. So then they sit down and they have this lunch and sister Monica Joan however it happened, had been placed next to him in the seat. And so he asks a question that he thinks is like so smart and is going to like, you know, um, really flummox them and make them feel bad about becoming nuns and everything. And Sister Monica Joan then just starts like unwinding him, you know, from the inside out. She says, um, and she was 90 doing this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Stop this attack. Well, oh, yeah. never use that expression. Yeah, this is one of her, this, is one of her, <laughs> this is one of her moments where she's like really on it, you know, like her her issues are not in in play at all. And she goes, um, she prepared to continue with Alan with a sideways glance. She says, "Do you regard your role as a new form of sanctity without precedent, or an equivalent revolution of the universe also without precedent?" And he's like really, you know, like he's like starting to kind of you know like realize he's very much out of his depth. So then she goes on and everything like that. Mike spluttered and Cynthia quietly nudged him. Trixie nearly choked and sent a shower of peas across the table. Jimmy and I looked at each other with secret delight. Poor Alan, aware that all his eyes were upon him, had the grace to blush. Sister Monica Joan murmured as though to herself, but loud enough to be heard by all. How sweet. Old enough to know it all and young enough to blush. Perfectly charming. <laughs> Having neatly disposed of Alan, she turned her attention to the roast potato. <laughs> And actually, the scene when they in the show when they go to the lecture and Sister Monica Joan is knitting and basically interrupts the lecture, mm-hmm. that did happen. But it was a music concert. Yeah, like Jenny a recital. So angry with her. Yeah, she was like, I couldn't talk to her for weeks. I was so pissed off. Um, well, and it's funny because she goes, "I greatly respect musicians," and I was like, "Oh, Jennifer, okay." Um, but this actually, <laughs> <laughs> but this actually, I loved. And, and I, and I will say, I will say this, um, because I, you know, I always, I'm always so hard on Sister Monica Joan on the show, um, and her, and her stuff that she does earlier in this book where she like is really rude to Sister Evangelina and like, you know, all that kind of stuff like that also really pushed my buttons. But Jenny starts to kind of meet with Sister Monica Joan and, um, asks her to kind of, um, give her, uh, you know, things to read, you know, and she, and she gets poetry, she gets Bible verses, she gets a lot of different things. And it really starts to kind of broaden her horizons, open her mind and everything. And it, it begins a, you know, real kind of personal, you know, epiphany and everything that she's beginning on. And she goes, um, what had impelled sister Monica Joan to abandon a privileged life for one of hardship working in the slums of London's Docklands? Was it love of people? I asked her. Of course not, she snapped sharply. How can you love ignorant, brutish people whom you don't even know? Can anyone love filth and squalor or lice and rats? Who can love aching weariness and carrying on working in spite of it? One cannot love these things. One can only love God and through his grace come to love his people. I asked how she had heard her calling and come to be professed. She quoted lines from The Hounds of Heaven by Francis Thompson. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinth ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him. I asked her what was meant by I fled him. And she became cross questions, questions. You wear me out with your questions, child. And then she says this, and this is the part that I had to underline. Find out for yourself. We all have to in the end. No one can give you faith. It is a gift from God alone. Seek and ye shall find it. Read the gospels. There is no other way. Do not pester me with your everlasting questions. Go with God, Kyle. Go with God, child. Just go with God. Now, 
I, I'm not making a comment on faith. I don't I don't expect anyone to have any other faith in what they want to have. So I'm not advocating for anything in particular here. What I thought was just so beautiful about the scene was that I think if you use faith to mean a path, you have to find your own way in this world. You have to find out what you believe in, what you care about, what you want to do. That is the work you have to do as an individual. And I just thought that was so wise. And I really loved it. And I I just love this scene and I just had to highlight it because well, I'll tell you we what we found our path and it was making a call the midwife podcast. <laughs> so just saying, just saying. But just to say that though I do give Sister Monica Joan a lot of grief, when she is good, she is really, really, really good. And so listen, you gotta you know And she said that at 90. Come on. I know, I know. I mean, you you gotta you gotta recognize when you know when someone's really and the scene it, so. the scene where Sister Monica Joan is found wandering in her nightdress that really happened. Oh, it was heartbreaking. It was yeah, heartbreaking. Yeah, because you could tell she was really scared. You know, she kind of realized something had gone wrong. So you know? Dr. Turner does feature in the book, but he's kind of a minor character, and he's married. And there's no and mention of with children. And, and Sister Bar- yeah. Sister Bernadette is real, but they're they're not together in any form. She's yeah. just one of the yeah. nuns. Well, at she's the just like yeah. kind of a bit part, really, isn't she? She's not really mentioned much. Although saying that we've not read the other books. Now, this goes yeah. on to something that we've had from readers, not readers, why am I acting like we're a magazine or something? From listeners <laughs> on social media. So two questions that are very similar from the same from different people. So Becky on Twitter, not this Becky. Not me. She's not done any work towards this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you have really. You've listened to it. She has. She has. We just have to give her a little bit of a, of a yeah. gentle grilling here. Um. So Becky on Twitter says, I would like to know if there are stories in there that the TV show missed out on that you would think would have been a good story to include. Now, Dairy Cowgal, don't know if that's her given Christian name. <laughs> yes. <laughs> on, that's her, on Instagram. Yeah, but yeah. she said, "I read all the books and loved them, but it's been a few years. I can't remember, and I'm curious: was there a real life Alec in Jenny's life who died, or was that invented for the show? Also, mm-hmm. curious if you have any parts of the books that you loved and were disappointed they didn't make it into the show. So very similar to the uh, to the Becky question, but I didn't want to fave one over the other because we appreciate all. Uh, also, there's been more questions that we haven't been able to include. So thank you very much for everyone. Um, yeah. But yeah, I feel like we need to kind of read the other books. Sorry, Bex. Uh, we need to read all the other books. To kind of... <laughs> Sorry to all of us. We're going to have to go for even more trauma and PTSD. I'm going to need therapy after we finish all four of these. I'm definitely going to. Yeah. But there's no, uh, no there's Alex, nothing in yeah. here that's not touched, I don't think. And they cover no. they cover at least something of everything in the book in the show, I think. Yeah. So yeah. far, yeah. I... Obviously, Mrs. B is mentioned in the books, and I'm sorry <gasps> that she isn't a character that made it into the show. Now, I'm yep. glad you said that, because I had a thought on Mrs. B. Number one, why is she not there? They did, they, she was quite crazy, the way they explained it. <laughs> but, but obviously, she is there in the in the show, but just as this character that you never see. Like, she's there and, yeah. like, bakes and that's it. But yeah. I thought, who, if there was a Mrs. B, who would play her? And I've got a thought who I would want to play her. Oh, who? Julie Walters. Yes. Yes. I think yeah. Although, although Mrs. B isn't in the show, do you think, and spoiler alert, Fred is going to have a love interest? Mm. You think that character plays is somehow no, no, maybe not. no, because they didn't get on <laughs> at all either, did they? So I don't know why. I, they I, I would love to know the decision behind not putting Mrs. B in. I, I don't understand what, Becky, you were trying to intone there. Are you trying to say Fred and Mrs. B should get together? No, I'm saying that be, they haven't put Mrs. B in there, but in some ways her character, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's really oh. late. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think they didn't include Mrs. B because she really is just running around, like, making puddings and cakes and teas all, things all the time. And I don't think she would have – she didn't really have – I mean, I love Mrs. B. I love the character of her, but she didn't really have like a major value added role in at least this first book. And I think they just kind of sized everything up and like the cast yeah. and all the things they were trying to do. And we're just like, we're just can't deal with another yeah, person. Yeah, and there's so that's many not... big storylines that they don't really have time to have her be like 
little asides and quips and arguments with Fred in the kitchen when there's yeah. like, you know, horrific storylines about abuse going up. Like they didn't need yeah. that light relief really, I suppose. I feel like Mrs. B and Fred are kind of in the same category and they were like, yeah. we can do more with Fred than Mrs. B. So we're going to just have Fred, you know, like yeah. that was how I felt about it. Um, but still, I'd have Julie Wells explain it. Yeah, no, she would be so good. There, or if she was alive, of... Victoria Wood, one of my favorite people in the history of the world. Ooh, I don't know who that is. Victoria Wood. You, you will know once you look at her. I'm looking it up right now. She died oh. on the day I got married. She died on my wedding day, weirdly, and I cried in the morning of my wedding. <laughs> I loved Victoria Wood so much. Wait a minute. Ah, yes, I do know who that is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She oh, dinner, ladies. Yeah. yeah. So there's still, I mean, because there's three books, there's still a lot we just don't know. Yeah. But I think so far, to answer Becky's question and Derry Cow Gal, uh, <laughs> to answer the question about um, is there anything that was in the book that was missed out? No, is the short answer. They've really. I don't think so. Yeah. Absolutely been through everything. But like, yes, there's been amalgamations, yes, there's been changes. Wait, wait, wait. One quick second, though. So we didn't really touch on this, and I am not going to go into a long thing about this, but Molly was the other kind of real-life story yes. in the book that was in the show that we didn't talk about. Yes. And in that in that one, so if you remember in the show, Molly Brignall was the one who was pregnant. Jenny went to go see her. Her house was absolutely disgusting. And then she went to go see her mother. The mother came in and helped, but she has a really abusive husband. Bitchy. And, yeah, yeah. And, and the book so- is dick. In the book, it's, it's Dick, yeah. yeah. In the show, it's Richie. And the thing that was really sad in the show was that Molly was just as, um, you know, was was really, I mean, again, take the Molly Brignall story and turn it up to 11. Like, however bad you thought it was, times that by 100. Like, yeah. And she was 14. Yeah. And, and, and the thing that was really sad in that story was that, and this was another thing about, like, the time they were living in because nowadays you would absolutely never have a situation like that come to the attention of police and you know healthcare professionals and not have that family separated for the health and safety of the kids but in the show um in the show molly and her husband were um tried and sentenced for whatever the crime was and then they were sent off and then the kids went to live with the grandmother in the book molly's uh molly was out doing something untoward celebrating yeah, and and Good Jenny use the word. Thanks. There we go. And Jenny and the and Molly's mother and police officers went to the apartment. They couldn't get in and they thought that the there was a heater on that was going to cause a fire or you know and and suffocate the children. So they broke in and just as they broke in they kind of discovered like all of this squalor and filth. And then the father came running in and was like, oh, well, you know, like, I'm sorry, the mom's just out. Like, I didn't realize, like, I'm going to take care of them and basically kind of talked his way out of it. And the police officer's like, well, we really can't do anything. Like, we're just going to give you a warning. And so then they left and he kicked the mother-in-law out as well. And so it was just a really sad kind of trailed off ending where you just really, really worried about what was going to happen to those kids. Yeah, like, what a horrible start in life. And it's true. It's a true story. And that's horrible. Oh, it was that one. That one actually really, that one really. I said, I said every, I, I said this about every single story in this book. They're all heartbreaking, but that one also just really broke. It my was heart. just a um, really hard, bleak read. Like Inspector Calls when I was doing GCC was hard because it was boring. This was yeah. hard <laughs> for, yeah. for this book club because it was Alex so has dark. Read more than these two books. books that <laughs> I've never read any more books in my life. Though. <laughs> well the thing that's really tough is what you realize is that when you have when you have like a lot of stuff that it is that there's no laws there's no protections there's no regulations there's no systems in place to be checking on people and like enforcing good care and like you know oversight and everything like that this is the kind of stuff that you end up with and again I'm not saying that about I mean I don't think people think this but like I I'm not saying this about Britain I'm saying like America has these problems too and we have had these problems just the same way you guys did back in those days like if you don't have like things that are put in place to make sure this stuff will not happen this is what will happen so I mean it, this book well, really honest, I, it might happen soon the price of tomatoes right now well, I mean, and, well, you know, one of our one of our listeners said it I saw when she commented she was she was you know she wrote in about this um this thing and she said i'm so grateful that we don't have to live like the poor souls did back when this well do you know what that was what i was going to end on so oh sorry sorry barbara well i'm going to just say it now 
Barbara Olson, uh, thank you very much for your comment, Barbara. Um, she says, yeah. I just finished reading three of her books. So Barbara's ahead of us. Um, oh, Barbara. So overwhelming. Nothing like the TV series, really. Some similarities. It makes me realise how good we have it compared to those what, to what those poor souls went through. And it's so true. Oh, she's so right. To yeah, have to Barbara. live in those conditions. But like, so do you know what I always think of when I think of uh, Poplar? You know Harry mm. Redknapp? So you do you know Harry Redknapp, Jen? He's famous in football. He's a football no. manager. He had a no. son, Jamie Redknapp, married to Louise from Eternal. Anyway, that's by the bye. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait, wait to what, see where this is going. What, what team was he the manager of? Um, Tottenham Hotspur, I think. Southampton. He's been to... Uh, uh, did he was he oh, okay. for a while, Bex? Either way. I'm I not the way This is not a football he, podcast. He recently <laughs> ran his wife over by accident, didn't he? Um, I did not know that. But he also was on Sam's <laughs> Celebrity Get Me Out of Here. Okay. Anyway, he's a really famous cockney. Um, yeah. and it, like a real everyone knows who he is he's dead lovely he's funny he grew up in Poplar him and his wife met in Poplar around this time so he's he's older how old is I'm, do you know what I'm gonna look up this is the most obscure thing I've gone this way but um Harry Redknapp I just always see him on the telly and stuff and just think he was one of these kids running around with no pants on with Lorraine you know <laughs> All these kids, but he was but born in 1940. Like a... Yeah, but he was. He grew up. He's spoken yeah. about the hat, the fact that he's grown up in abject poverty. Yeah, he says about, he, he, he was in an, he was an England manager. He, thank you. Yeah. Oh, so, wow. but point being, he was born in 1947 in Poplar, and wow. he's. I've seen interviews where he spoke about the fact that it was absolutely ridiculous ridiculous poverty that he was he grew up in oh and, um, and it just makes me think like someone like, you know he's on the media and stuff and yes he lives in like an incredibly privileged life now but he was living in that time like on the streets like that he said about the fact they had no money at all growing up and it was just horrific and Ugh. it just i don't know why i don't know why i've turned this whole book thing into a thing about harry redknapp the football manager <laughs> but <laughs> well it's i mean well, it's, it's no, really real it's, it's really it real is, he's also like illiterate so actually he's not had the education no because he grew up in abject poverty well yeah i mean and there really wasn't a lot of protections for these kids put in place i no. mean the other one the other one that he's was one fascinating... of lucky ones is my point yeah very lucky very lucky i mean the, th the other one that we didn't touch on we had mentioned it briefly because you were reading the book way back but um uh chummy you know in the show she she learns to ride a bike and she gets a bike for jack the little boy in the show that really kind of yeah. helps her cheers her on and it's like her her supporter and everything and 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 he waits outside for her all the time and he and and what she, and what what they say in the book which is actually really sweet is that chummy giving that bike to jack meant that all of a sudden he had a whole new world opened up to him because he could actually leave poplar and like have transportation to get out around out and about you know get some fresh air kind of see something different you know like go to a museum i mean he was exp he was horizons. Yeah. yeah he had access finally outside of this really like tight-knit and like enclosed you know community that was you know really struggling every single day day in and day out and you mentioned it in the podcast, but um, Jack grew up to be a bodyguard for Princess Diana. So he found a way to kind of, you know, have a have a life where he could really support himself, support his family in a good way. And um, it did well, happen, but I'm sure it was called, so rare. Well, there's literally a chapter called Ricketts. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. You know, we didn't actually mention about it. And it, this was exactly as, as it was. They even said that she even called the daughter Grace Miracle, just like in the show. It was exact like yeah. for life on the, on the TV show as it was. In the in the book chapter, but the the fact that there's a chapter on rickets like yeah. just shows you how horrific the conditions were and how yeah. they didn't have food for to, to you know vitamins and it was just awful. Well, and and I think I think uh, I can't remember because I didn't highlight it, but the part with rickets is like it's an extremely preventable disease. I yeah. mean, it really takes a very minimal amount of basic nutrition to make sure that a kid won't have it. Well, also and... vitamin D from the sun and the buildings were high. Um, they didn't have good weather, the smog, because it was in just exactly. town. But also, when they spoke about rickets, also the fact that it affected girls more because the male children were favoured by the families. So they got a larger portions of food. and Yeah, because while the, well, the girls were inside the house doing work, the men were probably going out to try and get scrap and things like that. So they had more opportunity to even get the sunlight and things that would help them stay healthy. Oh, yeah. I mean, really, really tough. I mean, just just the things that like, you know, we don't think about today in terms of, you know, just basic ability to be healthy, just just normally healthy. It, I mean, are are so, so different. And I mean, 
Um, oh, one one thing the listener did ask, just again to kind of slightly <laughs> take it to a lighter note, is um, there's no Alec in the first book. Um, I don't know that there will be an Alec in the later books, but I joked around about Alan because I wonder if maybe... I mean, Alan is very positively portrayed in the show as well he should be, but it just made me laugh when he says things about how he he just is a man of like learned ideas. And Alex had made Alex had Alex, sorry, Alec had made that comment about um, you know, they really look up to me, like I really know what I'm talking about when they was talking about the band the bomb. Yeah, thing, I so. wondered if he was like a, a, a kind of mix of Alec. Alec. Yeah, I wondered. This is we've all thought the same thing. Yeah, yeah, that they kind of threw together Jimmy's two friends, like Mike and Alan, into like one person and then just made it an option for Jenny. Well, let's see um, how this develops. I know. Yeah. Well, maybe what we can do is read um, read another book like after we've gone through a couple more seasons and kind of see if more stuff um, gets peppered in and everything. Because I do remember watching a Call the Midwife thing where they say that Heidi Thomas um, does a lot of research uh, to kind of come up with the storylines that they um, you know, tell on the show. And so... I have to think she's pulling from all of the books and then also a, a lot of other historical record. But um. well, I will say to this about Heidi, she's just actually got. Um, I think it's either an OB or a CBA from the King. Um, she's just got one. Yeah, she's literally last week, um, and well deserved because she has done an amazing job of making something so so dark, so mm-hmm. so dark, into something so full of heart and love and amazingness. So well done, Heidi Thomas. Um, I know you're listening. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, she is. Oh, yes, she so, is. Yeah, she's amazing. And um, the whole, all the writers do such a fantastic job. And um, yeah, well, ugh, that was, it was just, a, it was a hard read. It was a good read. And it was something that is, is good for us to do with watching this uh, and doing the podcast. But, oh, hard. So, uh, yeah, kudos mm-hmm. to them. Yeah, yeah. Were, were there any other, were there any other like, kind of like listener things that we wanted to touch on before? No, that was it. Okay. Um, well, girls, you know, I just, I'm so long-winded. I, I, I know this about myself. I just have to give a word to Jennifer Worth and, and feel free to you guys, you know, chime in as you want, but I don't know why I got, I got really into this book and like listening to it. I listened to it when I was driving up and down, um, for the holidays because we have like long drives in our Ooh, family. What's a lovely our... listen for Christmas, isn't it? Oh yeah, well, and Thanksgiving <laughs> and Thanksgiving. I broke it up. You know, I really wanted to soak it in for both Ooh, holidays, nice. so yeah. that was really nice. And it was, and especially over Christmas because what was funny was my mom and I were going to listen to it together, and then she like would fall asleep for big chunks, but I was like, you know, powering through. And I'll tell you what, some of these scenes when you're just like been driving on the road for six hours, like it's it gets a bit. Um, but Jennifer Worth. You know, okay, listen, I've I've taken her to task. I've given my, given my criticisms, but this is a story that needed to be told. This story is so valuable for, you know, a touch point of cultural history. And there are just not enough stories of this experience, but specifically women's experience. And whatever else I'll say about her, she did the work, you know, yeah. and she wrote this book. She gave this to us and just full respect and admiration for her for doing it you know I don't care if she did this job for a month a year however long she did it she did it she met with these people she cared about them she humanized them she told this story and Kate you know gave them another form of life you know by getting them out there you know in paper in the written word and and now into our homes through the tv show yeah yeah yeah. and on final oh sorry go on no, I was just going to say, like, Heidi Thomas does deserve that B.E. whatever thing the king gave yeah. her. Because, I mean, honestly, this is like what, this is British history that is people should be proud of. And that show is not only entertaining television, but it is really powerful stuff. And, like, this is the kind of thing that, you know, British people need to know about. And if, and if it was an American show, American people would need to know about it in terms of their own, like, you know, cultural history. And, like, their, you know, American history. Well, you speaking of history... Speaking yeah. of history, just one note to end it. Um, I watched another show uh, uh, before last uh, Call of Midwife recently, and um, it was a special of Antiques Roadshow on nuns, and it was sh- oh, on nurses. Sorry, I'm tired. <laughs> and um, they had an interview with Heidi Thomas's uh, not Heidi Thomas again. What is wrong with me? With Jennifer Worth's daughter, <laughs> and Jennifer Worth's granddaughter in real life has just qualified as a midwife, and I just think that is amazing. I love that. Yeah. Did what Jennifer, a legacy. 
did Jennifer Worth's daughter say anything that you thought was like so cool or interesting? Well, she had I mean, loads of photos. The... She had photos and everything. So you saw Sister Jocelyn, who is Sister Julianne, um, and they had photos and letters, and it was really lovely. Oh, oh I'm going to watch that. I got to watch that. Did Sister Jocelyn look anything like Sister Julian? Not really. Like, Jenny Agassiz is gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, She's yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. Well, and the description in the book of Sister Julianne is, ex- I mean, is exactly how Sister Julianne is portrayed in the show. Like, just, you know, can calm a stormy sea, you know, with two yeah. words and just, yeah. you know, beyond. I just thought, what, what a lovely, lovely fitting tribute to, uh, to Jennifer Worth that her granddaughter is now a midwife too. Oh, and on wow. that note, ladies, <laughs> that was actually quite a professional segue into the end. Sorry, are we going to do, we got to do our usual, like, send off into the next episode, right? So. Oh, yeah, me, I'll gonna... do it since I made that whole point about doing it. Um, So next week we start season series four, episode one, right? Yes. And then um, please keep, um, rating reviewing leaving us comments um subscribing liking following on facebook twitter instagram our youtube, YouTube. channel yeah yeah I, and I don't just know, I keep up the interaction on social media because we love it so uh we yeah it's lovely to love hear it. from you all and yeah. um we will be doing a listener special again after series four um, okay. I thought that'd be quite good to do on every two series. So any questions you have or anything, just send drop us a line. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be amazing. But thank you so so much for listening to yeah. our book club, my first ever book club. <laughs> and <laughs> and if, if you want to, if you want us to read the other books, we will read them. Just let us know. Yeah, yeah. And that means you too, best. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm totally going to be on it. <laughs> start now. You should start reading it now. <laughs> 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 that way you'll be ready. <laughs> Right, thank you so, so much for listening. Uh, We'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.